Part three, chapter eleven of Gulliver's Travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. Part three. A voyage to Laputa, Balnibarbi, Lugnag, Glubdubdrib, and Japan. Chapter eleven. The author leaves Lugnag and sails to Japan. From thence he returns in a Dutch ship to Amsterdam, and from Amsterdam to England. I thought this account of the Straldbrugs might be some entertainment to the reader, because it seems to be a little out of the common way. At least, I do not remember to have met the like in any book of travels that has come to my hands. And if I am deceived, my excuse must be. That it is necessary for travellers who describe the same country very often to agree in dwelling on the same particulars without deserving the censure of having borrowed or transcribed from those who wrote before them. There is indeed a perpetual commerce between this kingdom and the great empire of Japan, and it is very probable that the Japanese authors may have given some account of the Straldbrugs, but my stay in Japan was so short. And I was so entirely a stranger to the language that I was not qualified to make any inquiries. But I hope the Dutch, upon this notice, will be curious and able enough to supply my defects. His Majesty, having often pressed me to accept some employment in his court, and finding me absolutely determined to return to my native country, was pleased to grant me his license to depart, and honour me with a letter of recommendation. Under his own hand, to the Emperor of Japan. He likewise presented me with four hundred and forty four large pieces of gold, this nation delighting in even numbers, and a red diamond, which I sold in England for eleven hundred pounds. On the sixth of May, seventeen o nine, I took a solemn leave of His Majesty and all my friends. This prince was so gracious as to order a guard to conduct me. To Glangenstald, which is a royal port to the southwest part of the island. In six days I found a vessel ready to carry me to Japan, and spent fifteen days in the voyage. We landed at a small port town called Zamosia, situated on the southeast part of Japan. The town lies on the western point, where there is a narrow strait leading northward into a long arm of the sea. Upon the northwest part of which Yedo, the metropolis, stands. At landing, I showed the custom house officers my letter from the king of Lugnag, to his imperial majesty. They knew the seal perfectly well; it was as broad as the palm of my hand. The impression was a king lifting up a lame beggar from the earth. The magistrates of the town, hearing of my letter, received me as a public minister. They provided me with carriages and servants, and bore my charges to Yedo, where I was admitted to an audience and delivered my letter, which was opened with great ceremony, and explained to the emperor by an interpreter, who then gave me notice by His Majesty's order, that I should signify my request, and whatever it were, it should be granted for the sake of his royal brother of Lugnag. This interpreter was a person employed to the transact affairs with the Hollanders. He soon conjectured by my countenance that I was a European, and therefore repeated His Majesty's commands in low Dutch, 
which he spoke perfectly well. I answered, as I had before determined, that I was a Dutch merchant, shipwrecked in a very remote country, whence I had travelled by sea and land to Lugnag, and then took shipping for Japan, where I knew my countrymen often traded, and with some of these I hoped to get an opportunity of returning into Europe. I therefore most humbly entreated his royal favour, to give order that I should be conducted in safety to Nagasak. To this I added another petition, that, for the sake of my patron, the King of Lugnag, His Majesty would condescend to excuse my performing the ceremony imposed on my countrymen of trampling upon the crucifix, because I had been thrown into his kingdom by my misfortunes, without any intention of trading. When this latter petition was interpreted to the Emperor, he seemed a little surprised, and said, He believed I was the first of my countrymen who ever made any scruple in this point, and that he began to doubt whether I was a real Hollander or not, but rather suspected I must be a Christian. However, for the reasons I had offered, but chiefly to gratify the King of Lugnag by an uncommon mark of his favour, he would comply with the singularity of my humour. But the affair must be managed with dexterity, and his officers should be commanded to let me pass as if it were by forgetfulness. For he assured me, that if the secret should be discovered by my countrymen the Dutch, they would cut my throat in the voyage. I returned my thanks, by the interpreter, for so unusual a favour, and some troops being at that time on their march to Nangazak, the commanding officer had orders to convey me safely thither, with particular instructions about the business of the crucifix. On the ninth day of June, 1709, I arrived at Nangazak, after a very long and troublesome journey. I soon fell into the company of some Dutch sailors, belonging to the Amboyna, of Amsterdam, a stout ship of 450 tons. I had lived long in Holland, pursuing my studies at Leiden, and I spoke Dutch well. The seamen soon knew whence I came last. They were curious to inquire into my voyages and course of life. I made up a story as short and probable as I could, but concealed the greatest part. I knew many persons in Holland. I was able to invent names for my parents, whom I pretended to be obscure people in the province of Gelderland. I would have given the captain, one Theodorus van Grolt, what he pleased to ask for my voyage to Holland. But understanding I was a surgeon, he was contented to take half the usual rate, on one condition that I would serve him in the way of my calling. Before we took shipping, I was often asked by some of the crew whether I had performed the ceremony above mentioned. I evaded the question by general answers, that I had satisfied the emperor and court in all particulars. However, a malicious rogue of a skipper went to an officer, and pointing to me told him, I had not yet trampled on the crucifix. But the other, who had received instructions to let me pass, gave the rascal twenty strokes on the shoulders with a bamboo, after which I was no more troubled with such questions. Nothing happened worth mentioning in this voyage. We sailed with a fair wind to the Cape of Good Hope, where we stayed only to take in fresh water. On the 10th of April, 1710, we arrived safe at Amsterdam, having lost only three men by sickness in the voyage, and a fourth, who fell from the foremast into the sea, not far from the coast of Guinea. 
From Amsterdam I soon after set sail for England, in a small vessel belonging to that city. On the 16th of April we put in at the Downs. I landed next morning, and saw once more my native country, after an absence of five years and six months complete. I went straight to Redriff, where I arrived the same day at two in the afternoon, and found my wife and family in good health. End of part three, chapter eleven.